find our way back. It's always good to fellowship and to uh, greet one another. And as Clay said, if you're visiting with us for the first time, we just extend a warm welcome to you. We appreciate you being here and uh, pray that you really and truly have an encounter with God and that you're never the same again. Because I, I don't know of anybody that has met Jesus in a personal way that walked away in a different condition that, or in the same condition that, that they met him in. I'm so thankful that he, uh, he doesn't take the old you and the new you and mix it together and say, let's have some fun. You know, the Bible says that old things pass away and behold, all things become new. And when Clay was up here talking, he was talking about the blood of Jesus. And I was listening to this song as well. It's the first time that I'd heard it. And the scripture in Colossians came to me where it says, And you who were far away. I don't know if you understand what that means. Is, you know, if you've committed one sin or one million sins, your sins have separated you from God. And you're not close to God. You are far away from God. It says, for those who were far away, he has brought near through and by the blood of Jesus. And one of the things, I'll say this and shut up, but one of the things that I really believe, at least it's true in my life, is that whenever I'm trying to get serious about God, whenever I'm trying to truly focus and pray uh, to God, you know, the, the, the devil always reminds me of what I did not do or, it, or, or what I did do that I shouldn't have done. And so you, you, you feel all of this condemnation in your life, and it actually distorts your perspective of God. If we don't have a right perspective of God, we'll never pray right. We'll never worship the way we need to worship. We'll never give the way that we should give. And so many people, at least it's true in my life, is that, you know, that, 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 that sometimes when I come in to pray, I feel like I am unworthy. Or, or, you know, I've got to perform or I have to make up for the mistakes that I've made. But the Bible says that there is therefore no condemnation. God's not looking down at you and trying to find out what is wrong with you. He looks down and he sees what's right with you. And so anytime you approach God and you're trying to look at yourself and, and, and remind yourself of just why God's not going to hear your prayers or, or why you shouldn't you know, be happy or, or, or why you shouldn't you know, have confidence that, that God's on your side, understand that's the devil trying to get you to have a distorted view of God because God loves you. God's not mad at you. God is mad about you. And the Scripture says that, that he is mindful of us. And what that simply means is that we are on God's mind. His mind is full of us. So if you want to know what's on God's mind today, I want you to know it's you. You are on God's mind. Look at you, neighbor, and say, you're on God's mind. But there's a difference between just saying that and then knowing it and then walking it out. Listen, God's thinking about you today. No matter what you brought in here, no matter how good things are, no matter how bad things are, you are on God's mind. Amen? Amen. So I'll say this, and I want to have uh, Brother Joel, if he, he'll come up, and if you care, give him that microphone there. He, he, I wanna, he's going to share a testimony, but um, I want to mention this. We need to be praying for our good brother, Corey. That dude is about to get married on Friday. I tried to tell him. I said, listen, the wedding march song is a clue. It says, dumb, dumb, you're dumb. Dumb, dumb, you're dumb. Anyways, uh, but, but, but anyways, I, uh, he, uh, him and Kelly are getting married Friday, and so we want to be in prayer for them. And just uh, we thank God for you. So proud of you, man. And uh, uh, I'll say this. Um, now I'll wait to say this in a little bit later. Go ahead, and why don't you come, Joe? Why don't you share this? Good morning. Uh, my name's Joel Miller. My wife is Stacy. 
Um, and since we've been talking about the Daring Faith campaign and the giving aspect of it, uh, I'd really been wanting to share this. I asked Donald through Facebook if I could share it, and he said absolutely. Um, and it goes a lot along with what Shauna shared. I thought that was a really great word that she shared, and just, you know, another confirmation of what God's speaking about giving. But when Stacy and I were first married, uh, I was not on board with tithing. I just, I love the Lord. I love people. It's heart for evangelism. I uh, love being in church, but I was not on board with tithing. I just, you know, it, it was kind of foreign to me. And Stacy, you know, talked to me, said, you know, this is what God expects. And, you know, just kind of walked me through the biblical aspect of it. So, needless to say, you know, we started tithing, and, and God consistently has been proving himself faithful in, in regard to our giving. And just a few testimonies, I believe, you know, God has honored his word in Malachi that says, you know, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and see if I will not, and test me in this and see if I will not bless you and, with more than you can bring in. So we had a 1993 Buick LeSabre that was kind of a bluish green color, and those colors didn't really uh, hold out very well, and it had rust all over it. And it, it had one particular rust spot on the top where the roof met the windshield. And we were concerned, you know, if this thing gets worse, it's going to have a hole in the roof, and that would be pretty bad, and I don't know how you would repair that. So we looked around at different, you know, body shops. Everything was just too expensive to paint the car. So we're like, okay, we'll just, you know, give it to God and see what he does. Well, not long after that, we were at a Christmas party at her uh, aunt and uncle's house in Lebanon Junction, Kentucky, and we're just, I'm chatting with Mike, her uncle, and said, so Mike, what are you into? You know, what have you been into lately? And he said, well, I got this new hobby I'm kind of dabbling in, painting cars. And my ears just like perked up. I'm like, really? That's interesting. What cars do you practice on? <laughs> you need one to practice on? <laughs> And so I, uh, I said, you know, I explained the situation with our car. He said, I'll be glad to paint it. If you'll just cover the cost of the paint, I'll paint it. It would have been one or 2000 or more to take it anywhere else. I said, sure, whatever you do to it will look better than it does now. And uh, he did a phenomenal job on it. And all I had to do was cover the paint. And that was the provision of God, I have no doubt. A little further down the road, we uh, really, really needed a new bed. We had a single-size bed, or a, not a single-size bed. We had a, a full-size bed. That would be a little cramped, wouldn't it? We had a full-size bed, and it was just rickety and creaky. Every time one of us got up to go to the bathroom, it was like, ee, 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 and we're waking up the other. It was kind of bowed. It was like sleeping in a small half pipe. You know, you try to roll over to the edge, and you just roll back to the middle. It was just really, really bad. And we really wanted a king-size bed. Again, we shopped around, couldn't afford anything, just way too expensive. So we just kind of, again, gave it to God, you know, do what you want with it. So in the meantime, her parents were moving into a, another house in Mount Washington. They give us a call, and they said the, the people that we bought the house from just left with the moving truck, and they could not fit their king-size bed on their truck. They left it here. Do you want it? We didn't, even, we didn't even tell them we were looking for a bed. That was just totally God. And box spring, mattress, the whole shebang. Just incredible. 
uh, going on down the road, you know, God's showing his faithfulness. And God convicted us of letting Uncle Sam have a cut out of our paycheck before God. We'd always taxed, I'm sorry, we'd always tithed after taxes. God said, I'm the one that needs to get to your check first, not Uncle Sam. So we started tithing, we talked about tithing before taxes, and it made me a little nervous. I'm like, ah, I don't know, you know, can we swing that? We went ahead and said, you know what, God, God needs to have the first fruits, not the leftovers. And so we gave him the first fruits, we started tithing before taxes. Not long after that, I worked at ITT Technical Institute in Louisville. They went through a whole restructuring of their program. They, um, all the titles of the people changed. The director of education became the dean. The education supervisor became the department chair. They changed the courses. They changed the schedule from five days a week to three days a week. And in the process, they gave all the full-time instructors, which I was a full-time instructor at the time, they gave all the full-time instructors and all the faculty raises. And we got like a fourth, we ended up getting a $4,000 raise per year. And that was just another God thing. You know, he said, I'm going to show you, show myself faithful to you for your tithing before taxes and and, uh, give you this raise. And it's just been one thing after another. Uh, I wanted to buy some really expensive software for video editing and it was very expensive. It was it was about $1,600 for a business license, and so I wanted to buy that, and I saved it up, you know, and I, I finally got the amount. God said, give it to that missionary, you know, in Dubai. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? <sighs> it, it, Donald shared a story the other day that reminded me of that, where he was given 5000 and then for a trip, mission trip, and the Lord told him to give it away, and I didn't give it away with a smiling face, which is what he shared as well. Uh, but I did. I wrote that check, you know, gritting my teeth. Not only, and I also wanted to be in full-time ministry. That failed twice, you know, fell through. But not only am I now in full-time ministry at Oneida Baptist Institute, but I'm teaching video production, and I have that software, not just that software, but an up-to-date version of it, more, more up-to-date version of it, on eight computers. So I have like a production studio now with students that can work on this stuff. And it's just, I heard somebody once say, you cannot outgive God. And it's so true. If you're struggling with tithing and giving on a regular basis, do it. You are missing out if you're not. And I'm not saying you should be giving because of what you're going to receive. We give to God because it's his anyway. uh, And it's what he calls us to do. But I'm telling you what, he will honor his word that if you test him in that, the windows of heaven will be open and he'll pour out more than you can handle. Thanks. You know, that's, that, that's awesome. I mean, it, and it's amazing. When, when you see God move, I'd say I've seen God do things more in the arena of finances than, than any other area of my life. And, and I know that it's not about finances, it's about faith. And so, uh, you know, again, we're right in the middle, we're toward the end now of this Daring Faith campaign that we've been talking about. And last week we talked about daring to be generous. 
And I just kind of really threw this stuff out there. I've reached a point of no return. I'm all in on this. And I shared with you some of the things that, uh, that I believe that God wants us to do. And, and I don't want to, this to be emphasis on money because, listen, this campaign is not about money. It involves money, but it's not centered around it. It is a growing sowing and going campaign. It's not a fundraiser. It is a faith raiser. And, and when you listen to testimonies like this, when, when you listen to it, you know what? That raises your faith because all of us can relate to what he just shared, you know. And there may be somebody here, you're, you're not a tither, and God's been dealing with you. I want you to know that I can guarantee you that that was a direct word from God because God is not trying to see what he can get from you. He's trying to see what he can trust through you. And God will always want to use you to be a blessing. There's no money in heaven. There's no banks in heaven. All the money that, that, that exists is here and it's inside people's pockets. And so God said that he will use you to do miracles. And we talked about that. And so uh, one of the things I want to reiterate, if you can throw that slide up there for me if you don't care. We're going to have this on here. It's also on the back of your bulletin. Now, again, this is not uh, about money in any way. I don't want you to forget that, listen, one of our dying faith goals is to win 300 people to Christ in the next three years. 100 people a year. That's what we want to see. We're believing God for. But listen, you have to take a step of faith and begin to invite people to come. If you don't invite people, listen, we're not going to see those folks saved. So everybody here should be participating in inviting people to come. Another goal that we have is that we want to see all of our ministries fully, uh, fully supported with volunteers so that no ministry leaders or team are struggling or having to week in, week out do everything. If we have enough, we can create four teams, five teams, six teams where you would only have to serve once every month or every month and a half. Uh, another goal is that we want to see 75% of the people that call themselves members of our church to be actively involved in ministry. You know, that is a dang faith goal. We want to see that happen. We want to see our church double in size. And it will double in size if you will just take the time to pray and invite people. And so that's another dang faith goal. And another goal is, is we are to, we're going to try to raise or, or, or to, to bring in a million dollars in the next three years. Now, I know that sounds like a lot of money, but I broke it down to you last week. I said, we probably have 150 people that come to this church at least one time a week or one time a month. And if we had 150 people give $185 a month over the period of 36 months, we will raise over a million dollars. Now, that looks, you know, for somebody, you're thinking, man, that's, that is, that's outrageous. I can't give that much money. Well, listen, if you break that down, it, it breaks down to this. It breaks down $46.25 a week. But if you break it down even farther, it, it comes up to being $6.61 a day. In other words, we fix this microphone, but, 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 but in other words, for the price of a McDonald's or Wendy's value meal a day, we can raise $1 million. And I'm just telling you right now, we're going to do it. I said, we're going to do this. Now, here's what we're going to do with the money. Put, if you can put that other slide up there. You know, we're going to church plant and unreached people groups. 
We're going to send people to college through a City of Hope Church scholarship. We're going to do Adopt-A-School. We're going to do Adopt-A-Fire Department. You know, we're going to do Vocational Training Center. We're going to do Emergency Preparedness. We're going to purchase or build something, a transition house, that when people get out of rehab, that they can have a place that they can go and stay and begin to acclimate back into society because a lot of people, that they have nothing to go back to. Their families are addicted. It's, a, it's an incredible, incredible need. Go ahead to the next one. We're going to in, increase our port, support of Chad's Hope and Best Blessing. Why are we going to do that? Because that, those ministries are saving people's lives, and I want to be a part of that. Fully fund all of our ministries, support local ministries, pay off our church mortgage, increase our staff, develop some kind of a job shop ministry. We're going to do those things. So listen, that and much more, it's going to happen. And listen, for those of you that are doubting, I'm going to say this to you. I told you so. There'll be a day we'll stand here and I'm going to say, listen, only God could have done what he has done. Amen? And if you're on board, everybody shout amen. amen. All right. Turn over to uh, the book of Psalms. And while you're turning there, I've got another quick testimony uh, about giving. Richard contacted me uh, yesterday, day before yesterday, and said, can we borrow some tables from, uh, from the church? He said, Jacqueline is going to uh, uh, do a yard sale, and the Lord told her that the money that she makes from the yard sale, that she should give it to the church, to the Daring Faith Campaign. And of course, I said, no, she can't borrow those. Of course not. But, but you know, that, that God is putting things on people's hearts like that. If you, if you really and truly want to participate, first thing I do is pray about it. And that's what this card is. If you need to know what you should give, there's six questions you should ask yourself uh, when it comes to next week. And I want you to not just come next week, come prepared. Invite those folks that come one time a month. Make sure they're here. Tell them to come because next Sunday is a huge, huge day. And we're going to see God do some incredible things in, in the very near future. And, and so God's going to release people. He's going to give you creative ideas on how to do this. He's going to put things on your heart, and you're going to have to step out on faith and believe him to do that because he's going to bring it in. Listen, nobody's going to come in and write a check for a million dollars. As a matter of fact, if I had my preference, I wouldn't want that to happen. You know why? Because that's not going to grow anybody's faith here. I don't, I'm not looking for somebody, you know, daddy big bucks, to come in and put something in there. You know, again, if, if you can give and it doesn't require you to have faith, then you need to keep your, your giving. And if you feel like you're being pressured... If you feel like that you're being forced to do this, as a matter of fact, you're off the hook. You don't have to give. You know what? Because it won't work anyways. It's not going to grow your faith at all. And so just pray about this and find out where God wants you to participate in, and we're going to see God multiply fishes and loaves. Amen? Psalms chapter 37. I'm going to read a couple of verses here. And today we're going to talk about daring to commit. Daring to to commit. You know, during this series, we've talked about daring to believe and daring to dream and, and daring to give God your best and daring to be generous. And, and today, we're going to talk about daring to commit. Now, this is almost everybody's, or at least most people's favorite verse. We quote this all the time. But in verse number four, Psalms 37, four, he says, delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Now, how many have heard that verse before? How many have claimed that verse before? You know, look at the next verse, verse 5. Commit. 
Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. What shall he bring to pass? The desires of your heart. But the problem with that is this. You can't have verse 4 if you don't have verse 5. You can't come up and say, I want verse 4, God, but I don't want verse 5. All of that is directly connected. If you want to see the desires of your heart come to pass, and again, when we're really committing everything to God, our desires will actually change. If God answered some of the prayers that you prayed, you'd be in a bad position right now. Anybody ever prayed a prayer that afterwards you regretted it? I mean, I have. I mean, I'm saying, God, you know what? I'm ready to suffer with you. And God, I'm ready to... And then when the middle of that's going on, I said, God, I lied. God, forgive me. God, I've actually prayed this prayer before. I've actually prayed, God, you know me. I am stupid. And I am, you know, I am, I am uh, capable of saying and praying something that you know I don't mean. So, God, I give you permission to ignore any prayer you know that is not going to be something that I won't happen in my life. Amen? And, and so, but here's what it says. It says, delight yourself also in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he'll bring it to pass. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I need your help today. Only you can touch and change hearts. And Holy Spirit, I ask you to do just that. I pray that you stir our hearts, that you bring us to a place of commitment, that we would step across the line today. Lord, as Shauna shared her testimony, Lord, you are speaking that same thing to all of us in some area, and we must commit ourselves to you. And God, I pray that you just do that work in all of our hearts, including mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Commitment is a powerful word. You know, it, it, it places a demand on us. It causes us to have to take action and, and do something. Now, you can be gifted and not necessarily committed. You can be talented, but not necessarily committed. You can have tremendous potential and not necessarily actually be committed. It's important for you to know that commitments make and shape our lives. Whatever commitment you make will determine what kind of person that you will be. In other words, what we commit ourselves to, we will actually become. So commitment is, is very important. You know, you can't live life without making some commitments. You know what? You can't buy a house without a commitment. You can't buy a car without making a commitment. You know, you can't get married without making a commitment. But there's a lot of people that have a low commitment. And listen, if you are committed to do nothing, guess what? You will do nothing. But you can't go through life and be uncommitted. And listen, if you do, you're going to be a very, very lonely person. Now listen, there's no such thing as, as people being born for greatness. You know, you know, great people are just ordinary people who have made great commitments to a cause that's greater than themselves. As a matter of fact, the most uh, amazing things that have been done in our world today have been done by people who lived in abject poverty, people who had failed over and over and over again, people who have made mistakes. But listen, mistakes can be stepping stones to success if you are committed to a cause greater than yourself. Most people are so self-centered, they cannot even see what God is calling them to do. Most people are so self-centered that, you know what, 
they think church is about them. They think they come and they want, you know, preach to me, sing to me, you know, do whatever I need as, as if the, the, the church is about you. And the truth is this, church is not about you. Church is not about me. Jesus has this funny idea that church is about him. And everything we do should be to glorify him. And if you focus on him, I promise you, your worship experience, your daily life, listen, your relationship with him will be radically, radically changed. But you can't live without making commitments. Now, here's what the Bible says about commitment. In Romans chapter 6, verse 13, this is the Living Bible. I love the way this is written. It says, give yourself completely to God. You know what that is? It's a commitment. Give yourself completely to God. Every part of you, for you have been brought back to life, and you want to be instruments in the hands of God used for his good purposes. Give yourself completely to God. Give everything to him, the Bible says. And God, you will be instruments in the hands of God to accomplish his great purposes. Listen, the greatest commitment you could ever make in your life is making a commitment to Jesus. Surrendering to him. Listen, the greatest commitment. Some of you, you know what? You need to make that commitment today. You know, some of you, you've been halfway committed. You're kind of like King Agrippa. When the Apostle Paul talked to him and was testifying to him and telling him about what, what Jesus had done for him, you know what he says? You almost persuade me to become a Christian. Some of you are almost Christian. I paused for an amen. It didn't come. It's all good, though. You know what? Some of you are almost saved. But you know what? To be halfway saved is to be totally lost. Some of you, you're too in to be out, too out to be in. Too lost to be saved, too saved to be lost. you got just enough sin in your life that, that you, you, you hate, you're miserable. And you know what? you got just enough God in your life that you can't enjoy the sin that you're in. Listen, God is saying, you know what? You need to commit yourselves. I'm calling you to commit all of yourself completely to him. Now, again, we've been talking about these series. This series has been building up week after week after week after week. And we've talked about giving God our best. We've talked about believing and daring to dream. We've done all these things. But you know what? Next Sunday is a very important Sunday. It is Commitment Sunday. And you've already heard, and you've already, we've already talked about this. But you know what? You're going to be challenged to bring a cash offering. And you're going to be challenged to make a 36-month commitment. Now, now, I've had a lot of people... People talk to me about this. And I understand that finances are a touchy issue for a lot of people. And the only reason finances are a touchy issue with people is because they don't understand everything already belongs to God. A lot of people think that, that what they have actually belongs to them. The truth is, when you're a steward, you understand everything you've got has been given to you by God. And you know what? People will say, you know what? I, I, I don't believe in making a commitment like that. You know, I don't, I don't believe in, 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 in making commitment, you know, a pledge. You know what? If you buy a house, guess what? How many, how many of you, you've got a mortgage? How many of you, you've got a car payment? How many of you took out a loan? That's a commitment. That's a financial commitment. So well, here's the truth. Here's where the rubber meets the road. We're willing to make a commitment for the things we want. We just don't want to commit to God. We'll commit to anything that's going to help improve the quality of our life and say, you know what? God wants me to have this. And maybe he does. But the truth is, I told Rachel when we built a house, I said, you know what? I want to own a house. I don't want a house to own me. And there's a difference between that. Now, here's how you know whether something has control of your life or not. 
To the degree that you fear losing your positions and your possessions is equal to the degree that they have control over your life. Whatever you're afraid to lose already owns you. And so when we're talking about commitment, he's talking about those very things that you are afraid of giving up. And God says, you know what? They already belong to me right now anyways, even the air that you breathe. But your beating heart, listen, it, it belongs to God. So we're alive today just because of that. But let me give you five commitments really quick that God is calling us to make. Number one, I'm going to turn some, some air on because you guys look like you're hot. All right, I turned it off a while ago. This may disrupt the service, but forgive me. I love you enough to give you some air. Can you give God glory for air conditioning? Amen. Hallelujah. Booyah. I want you to hang with me. I don't want you passing out from heat stroke. So number one, five commitments. Number one, commit to growing in your faith. That's what Daring Faith is all about. This entire campaign is about growing in your faith. There's a lot of people, they get saved, and then they take that step, but they don't continue on growing in their relationship with God. Let me ask you a question. Are you closer to God now than you were a year ago? Are you closer to God now than you were five years ago? And listen, if we're not growing closer and closer to God in our relationship with Him year after year, you know what that's called? Backsliding. And you don't backslide overnight. You backslide when you sit on the first seat, and then you move back to the second row, and then the third row, and then the fourth row, and then the fifth row. And I'm not saying that where you sit at determines where your commitment is. I'm just saying that's how you backslide, and then ultimately you end up out the door. It happens step by step. It's easy. It's easy to just think that you're doing well when in reality we're not doing well. But we need to commit to growing in our faith. And to grow in our faith, we must have the Word of God, we must have the Spirit of God, and we have to have the people of God. You have to have a devotional life. That means you've got to spend time reading God's Word. You've got to have a prayer life. That means you spend time talking to God and God talking to you. But you know what? That's not all. If that's all you do, you're not getting the full Christian experience. You also need a weekly time where you gather together just like we're doing right now and worship God corporately. You need the Word of God. You need the Spirit of God. You need the people of God. And you need the presence of God. And there's some things that you cannot experience in your walk of faith that, 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 that you do on your own. You have to be in an environment like this because God brings deposits and He deposits things in your your life even when you don't necessarily know it so God wants us to come together we need the word of God you know we need prayer we need to have a devotional time we need to have a corporate time where we get together and and we worship now Billy Graham uh, his organization did a a study on several mega mega church pastors who fell into sin whether it be immorality whether it be financial uh, misappropriation of funding, but they failed, they were removed as pastor. And he said, I found one thing that was in common in all of those ministries and churches, and the number one thing was this. He said, those pastors said that they did not have a devotional time with God. Imagine standing behind the pulpit and preaching to thousands of people when you were backsliding every single day. 
It's quite possible. Listen, we can make anything a God. You know what? You can worship, worship. And you can tell people who worship, worship, because they think it's all about their song. I want you to sing my song, or I'm going to sing my song. And listen, if you are that way, I promise you, you've made worship an idol. You know what? God likes all songs as long as they are made up and based on the Word of God. You know what? There's no such thing as Christian music. We've labeled it that. Listen, you can turn anything into an act of worship, but you can also turn anything into an idol that you worship. You know what, pastors, listen, you can, you can worship preaching. You can worship being behind the pulpit. It's very easy to do. Success has is ruined more people than failure ever thought about ruining. So we have to continue. Even myself, I must grow in my faith. You should be concerned about my relationship with God. You should be coming up to me and saying, hey, pastor, let me ask you a question. You know, how's your relationship with God? Somebody ought to be holding me accountable. You know what I'm saying? That's why we have an apostolic council. You know, we're going to talk about that a little bit more in just a second. So the first thing we have to do is that we have to commit to growing in our faith. Number two, we have to commit to discover our purpose. Now, this may shock you on how you discover your purpose and your identity. Listen to this. In order to discover your purpose and your identity... You must connect with others in fellowship. You'll never learn who you are by yourself. You know, when you, get, you, know, when you get first get married, you know, you've lived single for, you know, 20, 30 years or more or whatever. And then when you get married, you still have like a single-minded man or woman's mindset. And look, if you think that after you get married, you can continue on doing the things that you did when you were single, there's a Chinese word for that, fooey. It, it, it ain't going to work. It's not going to work. And so we have to understand you know, that, that when we come together in relationship, we find we really and actually think that we know who we are. Listen, I didn't even know that I was selfish until Rachel told me. Am I right, Rachel? <laughs> I'm just and the truth is, look, here's the thing. We all think we are the epicenter of normal, and everybody else is weird, don't we? We think we're the, like, okay, I'm going to judge everybody else based upon who I am because I've got it together. Really? I mean, you agree with that? And so when people do things that are different, and I'm not talking about making a scene or, you know, or doing something crazy off the wall stuff. I'm just talking about when people don't see things the way that you see things. And all of a sudden we're thinking, well, that's weird. No, listen, maybe, maybe you're weird. The truth is, we are weird. And if you married somebody that is, same, is the same kind of person that you are, listen, that's weird. Why? Because God has designed marriage in such a way that he intends to kill the both of you. You'll never have a happy marriage until you learn how to die to yourself. And the truth is, that's where we discover our identity and our purpose is that brings it out of us. It cuts off the rough edges that are, that are around us, and we really discover who we really are. We find out that, you know, we are really, really selfish. You know what? We really, really like things our way, and, and we really, really are more comfortable in doing this. And so it just reveals just how selfish we are. Amen? And so God says, you know what? I'm going to design you in such a way 
that you will discover your identity and your purpose when you gather together in fellowship in smaller groups. You don't understand your value until you realize that, you know what, you are placed in a relationship. You are placed within this church. You know why? Because the person beside you, sitting beside you, needs you. And the person that, that you're sitting beside or that's sitting beside, needs the other person. We are all part of a body, but when we are disconnected relationally, we don't understand what our meaning is. We don't understand what our giftings are. We don't know how valuable we are. We don't know what our purpose is. So God puts you in a smaller group. Now look at what this verse says. It says, we are like various parts of the human body. Each part gets its meaning. Now, what does that mean? Gets its purpose, gets its meaning from Christ's body as a whole, not the other way around. Each of us finds our meaning and function as part of the body. So what's that saying? So you will never discover who you are, what your gifting is, what your purpose is, until you grow relationally in a small group. What you have to offer in this church is extremely important, and we can't become the church God wants us to be without you reaching your full potential, without you fulfilling your function, and knowing what your role is, and understanding your gifting. That's why we have next steps. We have next steps so that you can help discover that. That's why we have small groups, so that once you discover that, you can just play that role and be that person in a small group. That's why we have ministry. Because, listen, you don't really know whether you're called to do this stuff until you get involved. And so, listen, that's what we're trying to do with daring faith. Now, there's a difference between prominence and significance. Prominence is what we see on the outward. For example, I have prominent ears. They're sexy, but they're prominent ears. At least that's what Rachel tells me. But they're prominent. My children, bless their hearts, they have prominent, at least their girls can hide them, but my boys, they are, there's no doubt when you look at them, they're saying, yup. Why? Because my ears are prominent. But you know what? If you cut my ear off, I could still function. But there are other significant parts internally that I've never seen, like a liver and kidneys and spleen. You know, I, I don't know that they're there. It's just by faith I believe that they're there. Even though they're hidden and not visible, they are extremely significant to my survival. And what I'm saying that for is this. There's a lot of things that you do behind the scenes that nobody notices. Our hospitality team, our welcome team, those that go out there and they, they park the cars, our greeters, our ushers, our worship team, our children's church, our nursery. There's, the, the youth. There's so many things that are done that you don't see that are extremely, extremely significant to what we do as a church. Most of you only see me or Clay back behind here, and you think that, you know what, that, that that, you know, that he's here or they are there because, you know what, they're going to do great things. The truth is the greatest potential is not behind the pulpit but those that are sitting in the pews. And the strength of a church is not based upon its seating capacity but the sending capacity. As a matter of fact, church doesn't start until the service is over. Ow, that hurt. It just did. Number three. Third commitment that you need to make is commit to being a disciple. 
man, if there's one thing that, that the church, our church, and the church across America is weak in, it is very weak in discipleship. We've done very well at giving people a God that they can feel, but we've done a terrible job of giving them a Lord they can follow. You can't just, you can't base your relationship with God on feelings. I'm thankful for feelings. I'm thankful that I can experience and feel the presence of God. But at the end of the day, I still must follow him whether the feelings are there or whether they're not. So we need to commit ourselves to, to being a disciple. Listen to this. Discipleship is not a lessons that you learn. Discipleship is lessons that you live. I give you the scripture in Acts chapter 1 verse 1. It says, Jesus began both to teach and to what? Do. Listen, discipleship is not, in, is not complete until you take what you know and apply it to your life. How many of you take the messages that we speak to you and you immediately say, God, how do I need to apply this in my life? If that is not your mindset, then you need to get your mind renewed because you don't have a disciple's mindset. Somewhere in this mess called a message, God's going to speak to you and say, you know what? Hey, I need to do this. But the problem is if we don't do the first thing, and that is pray, seek God, be sensitive to the Lord. We'll never become, number three, we'll never become a disciple. You see, Jesus began both to do and to teach. It's important for you to know that discipleship is this. Discipleship is when someone takes another person and teaches them the right information while modeling the right actions. In other words, people would rather see a sermon than hear a sermon. Discipleship is when you learn something. Look, I'll say this much. You cannot become a disciple by being preached to on Sunday morning. You can't be a disciple by just you know, hearing a message this morning. I can preach to you, but I can't disciple you. Discipleship happens again in smaller groups. Discipleship, ha again, happens when you get right information and then you're able to see a model of which that should be lived out. People need to see the, the life that you live and know it's possible to live the Christian life. Most people would say, you know what? I, I give my life to Jesus, but I don't think I can live the Christian life. That is exactly what my mindset was when, when I first got saved. I was like, you know what? Man, I can't live like that. I can't be holy. I can't be pure. But listen, your life, the Bible says you are living epistles, read and known among all men. You've heard it said before. Some of you, look, you're the only Bible that anybody else reads. So your, exact, your actions are extremely important. Now, we have some really good disciplers in our community. We have some really good disciple makers in our community. They're called drug dealers. They are extremely good at reproducing themselves in young men and young women. They provide for them the substance. Once they get the substance, they're hooked. Once they're hooked, they teach them how to make it. They teach them how to sell it. They teach them how to make money, and then they go to the next person. You know, it is a shame that the church is not making disciples, and the fact is, it's a shame that drug, drug addicts and drug dealers are better at making disciples than the church is. Let me ask you a question. Who's discipling you? Here's another question. Who are you discipling? If you don't have anybody, you should. See, everybody should have three relationships. Everybody needs a Paul. 
everybody needs a Timothy and everybody needs a Barnabas. What I mean by that is everybody, number one, needs a Paul. They need somebody over them that's pouring into them and discipling them. Everybody needs a Timothy. They need somebody under them that they themselves are discipling. And everybody needs a Barnabas. They need a brother to come alongside and walk out the Christian life with them. And listen, if you don't have those people in your life, then you need those people in your life. You should pray and say, God, bring those people in their life. Because the truth is, you need somebody over you. You need somebody under you. You need somebody walking beside you. Because listen, it's not easy. It costs you nothing to be saved. It costs you everything to be a disciple. And let me just make this clear. You cannot be a Christian and not be a disciple. All Christians are disciples. We try to separate the two. And we say, yeah, we pray to prayer. Where's the evidence and the proof in your life? Jesus said, if you continue in my word, you are my disciple indeed. And so it's important for us to understand we need to have those people in our lives and in our relationship. Here's the fourth thing. We need to commit to serving in the ministry. If you want to make a difference in the world, if you want to impact people's lives, you must commit yourself to serving other people. Let me ask you a question. During the course of this past week, who did you serve? Who did you help? Who did you reach out to? You know what evangelism is? Evangelism is loving people so much that they ask you why. Why are you being so good to me? Why do you care? Why do you keep coming back? Listen, you can go out and preach the gospel and use words if necessary. But you preach the gospel with your life. If you don't have somebody that you're reaching out to, listen, we cross people every day, all the time, that are needing help. Within driving distance of our church are 40,000 people on their way to hell right now. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. The labors, they are few. We need labors. He said don't pray for the harvest. Pray for the, the laborers. Are you a laborer? And I know this might be heavy and may be hard. I don't want you to feel condemnation, but I do want you to be challenged by what I'm saying. Significance is the pathway or service is the pathway to significance. Meaning is the pathway to ministry or ministry is the pathway to meaning. Listen, you can't call yourself a Christian if you don't serve. Serving is not optional in the Christian life. As a matter of fact, a Christian that doesn't serve is a contradiction. Are you still with me? I'm about to wrap it up. Here's another thing. Listen, ministry is designed to be done in the context of the team. We already talked about how that we are parts of the body, different parts of the body. Now, 1 Peter 4.10 says that God's given every single one of us a gift. If you don't know what that gift is, I want to encourage you to go to next steps and find out what that is. We've got a process for you because we want to help you do that. That's our job. Our job as pastors is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Most people think the, that the pastors are the ones who are supposed to go out and do the ministry. The truth is you are the ones that are supposed to do the ministry. We're to equip you. We've got processes and tracks and systems in place that, look, I promise you, if you'll commit yourself to that over the course of a year, if you look back at your life and say, you know what, I've not changed, you know what I do? I tell you, go somewhere else. 
But the problem is it's hard to find people that will stick and be steady. There's something to be said for people that just day in, day out, stick it out in the good times and bad. The Bible says, look, you know what, be instant in season and out of season. If you trust us as leaders and we present something to you, commit yourself to that. You know why? Because it's not about us, it's about you. You don't know what God has in store for your life until you make that commitment and step out on faith. You heard testimonies of the financial realm. That happens in the faith realm every time you step up. And I believe God's speaking to all of us about stepping up. But ministry is important. You know, we talked about this last week. God's given you time, talents, and treasures. Listen, not for your benefit, but for the benefit of others. The person you're sitting beside is a person that should benefit for the gifts, talents, and treasures that you have. We need each other, but the truth is we really don't even know each other. We won't know each other until we grow relationally. That, that's an important part. But God designed ministry to be done in the context of a team. He sent the, the disciples out how many? Two by, right? Ecclesiastes 4.9 says two are better than one. Listen, two heads are better than one even if both of them are empty. Two are better than one. Why? Because they have a good reward for their labor. Now, here's the things, the three things here. I, I, I put this in your outline. When we work together, listen to this. Number one, or A, we maximize our impact. Number two, we minimize our failures. And number three, we mobilize our resources. When we work together, we maximize our impact. Again, we're going to have a Daring Faith offering next week. And we're challenged to give and to make a commitment. But you know what? What I give next week really won't matter that much. What you give next week really won't matter that much. But what we give collectively will accomplish far more than anything we could do by ourselves. When we work together for a common vision and a common goal, God multiplies what we do, grows us, and does miracles day after day after day. Listen, I am a miracle. You are a miracle. Listen, you're here not, because, not by accident, but you were custom made by God and for God for his glory and for his purpose. And so when we work together, if, if you want to make a global impact, if you want to make an historical impact, if you want to make an impact in this community, commit yourselves to this daring faith campaign, and I promise you, what you do will far outlast anything that you can do by yourself. Why? Because when we mobilize, we maximize. Say that with me. When we mobilize, we maximize. And what happens is God does miracles. We talked about the story of the two fish and five loaves, right? That's what happens. Now, a lot of people think that Jesus was the one who multiplied the bread. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says he got the bread, the two fish, he blessed it, he broke it, and who did he give it to? Hadn't multiplied yet, had it? When did it multiply? When the disciples took what they had and did what? The miracle of multiplication won't come from me, it will come from you. We will bless it, we will break it, and we will give it, and as you give it out to those... God will begin to do miracles. 
Can you tell I'm a little bit excited about this? I believe God's going to do some incredible things. Here's the last thing. Commit yourself to fulfilling God's mission. When you're saved, your mission and Jesus' missions are directly connected together. Now, now, now what was Jesus' mission? Luke 19.10 says, I come to seek and to save that one is lost. Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you. He says, I'm not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. God is not slack concerning his promise, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. God is waiting on you to go and tell just like Jesus looked at the disciples and said, you feed them. Jesus is looking at us and he's looking at our community and he says, you know what? You feed them. And when you feed them, I'll move on your behalf and I'll get glory as a result of it. There'll be a multitude of souls. That's why another, another one of our, our dang faith goals is to reach and win a hunt or 300 souls in the next three years. Now, the Great Commission, we talk about this a lot. It's mentioned five times in Scripture, in five different situations, in five different ways. These five commissions tell us where to do it, when to do it, why to do it, and how to do it. These five commissions, listen to this, give us our mandate, our message, our method, and our motivation. Now I want you to hear these words. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. Who's he talking to? The pastor? Who's he talking to? Talk to him. Who? Everybody say me. If this is not true, and if you don't believe it enough to do it, then you're in deception. This terrifies me. Sent me around the world. Places where they've never seen a white man. Big snakes. 120 degrees with humidity about 100%. It's 75 in here, and you know. But that's not meant just for me. It's meant for all of us. Go ahead and come to music. Why is this important? Listen to this. Over 150,000 people will die in the next 12 months. You know, I broke that down. I was studying some yesterday, and I broke that down. Did you know that by the time this service is over and we dismiss you, 12,500 people will die? 12,000. 500 people to die. Now, what's worse than that is statistics say this, that out of those 12,500 that die when we leave, the, when we leave this building, 1,250 will go to heaven, and listen to this, 10,000 will go to hell. Nearly 10 times the amount of people that perish Every day, go to hell. 
The Bible says that death and hell enlarges itself every day. Who do you know right now that's lost and on their way to hell? I mean, again, within driving distance, 40,000 people in Clay County alone, 18,500 don't go to church anywhere. But like I said earlier, the greatest commitment a person can ever make is when you commit everything totally and completely to Jesus and to be used for his, his purpose. And that is the question and that is the issue and that is the challenge that God is giving you today. Now listen to this. Every time we bring up the subject or the issue of commitment, especially and specifically in the realm of finances, people get nervous. People become afraid. They get upset. They get overwhelmed. And if you're one of those persons or people that feel that way, then forget about it. Forget about it. Because the truth is, you have a far bigger issue than just money and your fear of not having enough money. Your issue is this. You've not fully and totally and completely given everything to, to God. You've not surrendered every area of your life to God. That's your issue. Because when, when, when you've surrendered everything to God, you understand nothing belongs to you. The Bible says that it's the Lord our God that gives us power to get wealth. How did you get your job, your resume? I think so. Who gives you the gifts and the talents to do what you do? Huh? Who created you? Who formed you? Who thought of all, all and every single detail of your life? Who wrote down the days of your life in a book and before any of them were lived, he saw the end from the beginning? Who did that? God did that. And when it comes to making a commitment, it's only hard when we think it's about us. I said this a thousand times, but again, it kind of just goes over our heads. Did you really mean it when you give your life to Jesus? If you did, you don't belong to yourself anymore, including your billfold. If I were to tell you to reach in to that person next to you, their purse and their billfold, and give to God, I wonder if it would change the way that you looked at giving. You can freely, joyfully, generously, sacrificially give when you understand that it's somebody else's money. But I'm buying the, I'm, I'm buying the download on this message today. The problem's this. When we're afraid to give and step out and do, we think that it's about us. And that part of you you've not surrendered, God is calling you to surrender it today. Quickly, these last three things here. We're talking about growing in our faith, okay? Let me ask you, where are you in the circle of commitment? 
We've got six areas. Community, crowd, congregation, committed, core, and commissioned. The community is made up of everyone that we have the potential to reach on any given Sunday. They're within driving distance of our church. Who have you been inviting to come with you? If you're not, it's time to step up. The crowd. The crowd consists of all the people who attend church on a regular basis. They're present a week or two per month. They consider themselves a part of the church, but they're not really involved beyond attending on Sundays. That, that's, that's the crowd. The congregation includes everyone who regularly attends, gives regularly, and supports the vision and values of the church. The committed are those that are growing in their relationship with Jesus and are being discipled through a small group. The core are those who are involved and they're serving others in ministries of the church. They give their time, talent, and treasure to do their part to help the church fulfill its purpose. And the commissioned are the big goal or, or, is to move people from community to the commissioned. When people are committed, growing, serving, we should prepare to send them out on mission. That's the job. That's the goal. That's what daring faith is all about. Stand with me. Which circle of commitment are you in? You need to identify where you are. If you don't know where you are, then you won't know where you're going. And if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. But God has purpose and plans. He's created you for His purpose. And we need to ask ourselves this. What could God do in our lives if we were totally dead to ourselves and totally committed to his purpose? What, just close your eyes for a moment and just ask God, show me, show me what you could do, what you want to do if I was dead to myself totally surrender to you I gave you the story in 2 Corinthians 8 about the believers of Macedonia I told you the condition that the people were in they were in extreme poverty in severe trial they're persecuted but in the condition that they were in, in their poverty and in their persecution welled up within them extravagant generosity they gave even more and beyond their ability, the Bible says. But then it makes one statement that all of us need to ask ourselves. He says this, but they gave themselves first of all to God. Daring faith will only be an issue with you if you've not first of all given yourself to God. You'll not do anything else. He said, first of all, they gave themselves to God. Then they said, you know what? Then they gave themselves to us by the will of God. If you're here this morning and God is calling you to completely surrender your life to Him, the time to do that is now. Don't hesitate. Don't wait. Don't put it off. More people split hell wide open because of procrastination than any other sin that you could ever commit. 
More people are in hell today because they never got around to doing business with God. Nobody's there because they are wanting to go there. They're there because they thought one of these days I will make things right with God and one of those days become another day and a week and a month and then a year and you put it off. And I'm telling you right now, the de God is, is speaking to you and the devil is speaking to you and he's saying, listen, just hold on, it's just about over. He'll stop speaking in a minute and when you get outside, everything will be all right. Listen, don't, don't. When you hear the voice of God, he says, don't harden your hearts. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and God is speaking to you right now, would you just shoot your hand straight up and straight back down? God's speaking to me. I need to completely surrender. Now, how many of you would say there's areas in my life that God says I need to surrender to Him? If there's any area in your life that God is calling you to surrender, I want to encourage you to come and say, God, I surrender that to you. Give me grace to give it up. I fought it too long. As they sing and as they play, won't you come? Say, God, I surrender that to you.